Hello friends, welcome to Beyond the News. It's Friday the 28th of October. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be listening to Dr John Campbell talking about excess deaths. It's going to be a roundtable of Irish doctors. Um, they formed a sort of YouTube inquiry type thing. Rand Paul is going to be talking about Dr Fauci. There's some footage of him grilling him in some kind of governmental um, committee. Governor Ron DeSantos is going to be talking about the CDC's what they call shocking vax decision. Mark Dolan is going to be talking to a journalist about the revelations that have been coming out about the vaccine. A little bit of a fun article with The Guardian about cats. How attentive are they? And... The Daily Mail is going to be talking about um, how conspiracy theories have jumped, but they've piled it all onto the QAnon phenomenon, and I'll give a slight opinion on that one. Pfizer's profits are going to be looking at that from the point of view of Yahoo Finance. That and much, much more coming up on today's show. So let's have a start with Dr. John Campbell. This is from October the 25th and he's talking about excess young deaths in the UK and the US. Well, welcome to this talk. It's Tuesday the 25th of October. Now, I want to look at a few things today. The main one probably is going to be the uh, excess deaths in young people in the United States. The official data is showing a cumulative total of around about 17,000 excess deaths in zero uh, years to 24 year olds in the United States. So I want to look at that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to start off with some good news if you're a shareholder in Pfizer. Um, Pfizer expects to hike US COVID vaccine price to 110 to 130 dollars. Now that's correct, 110 to 130 dollars per dose. This is just quite uh, incredible. And yet this is what is reported by the Reuters news agency. One of the chief executives, uh, Pfizer, expects to roughly quadruple vaccine price. That's times four, isn't it? $110-$130 per dose after the United States government current purchase scheme expires, currently paying around $30 per dose to Pfizer and German BioNTech. And Pfizer expects to market roughly about the same number of COVID shots as flu shots by the looks of it. So um, this is just quite, uh, <laughs> I was quite taken aback. You know, okay, inflation could be five or 10%, but given that the profits were already uh, higher than yours and mine perhaps, um, to increase the price to 110 to $130 per shot is really quite staggering in my view. But what do I know about business? Now, um, distressing news yesterday, um, Mr. Tim uh, Goch, and we just extend our deepest uh, sympathies, uh, condolences to Tim and his family. Um, um, T Tim Goch just died when he was presenting his radio show, believed to be heart attack. What probably happens here is for some reason the heart muscle just starts fluttering and it goes into what we call ventricular fibrillation. So sad to see that um, that has happened. Um, I suppose the slight consolation is he was doing what he loved doing, um, but nevertheless a tragic death at the age of uh, 55. 
And that got me thinking about excess deaths in the young. Okay, 55 is middle age, but um, there is an excess death at pretty well all ages at the moment. Now, we've looked at some UK data. So I look at some UK data briefly here. Um, now, this is um, by age group. And, and again, this is the 0 to 24 age group. Now, why the government are using 0 to 24 uh, uh, years? I mean, that's a pretty big chunk of age ranges. I would have much preferred to see this broken down into, well, ideally, but by the year or certainly by the five year block. But why? The, so why are they doing that so crudely? Uh, we would like to see much more finesse in the data. But anyway, so we've seen the excess deaths have been lower. So um, th th this is um, this is July 2021 here. And we see that basically the excess deaths are these on the top line. So we're seeing kind of more excess deaths here uh, than we are reductions uh, beneath here. So this, this is a trend towards increased excess deaths in the 0 to 24 year old age group in the UK. Now this line here, uh, that line there is, is, is 20 per week, excess deaths per week. So we can see that some deaths, there's so, so some weeks there's 5, 20 or, or even 30 excess deaths per week in this age group. Now some of these could be COVID-related, others will not be COVID-related. Uh, I suspect the majority are not directly COVID infection-related. And we really need a, a massive national inquiry into this. We need to know what's going on here. Uh, we've flagged this up many times on this channel. Mainstream media just not seem to be picking this up. Uh, but I find it personally quite alarming. And I've just blown up the last... Well said, uh, Dr. Campbell. That, that bit there on the end, I've just blown that up so we can kind of see what's been happening. Now, to be fair, this wasn't updated since uh, July, so it's a bit out of date. But we can see there's quite a lot of excess deaths here above the line and uh, weeks with lower excess deaths than we would expect uh, below the line. And of course, if we average these out, we find that there's much more excess deaths than we would expect in the naught to... 24-year-old age range. And uh, I, I just renew my requests. We, we really need a, a huge research project to find out what's going on here and the, the lack of interest in this in mainstream media and, um, and by the academic and scientific and government community just astounds me. Um, yet the data is here. Now, in the United States, um, I'm going to show you some U.S. data here as well, because there has been a lot of excess deaths in the U.S. But this is the graphics here for excess deaths in all ages in the state. Now, what we're looking at here is these crosses here represent weeks when there was statistically higher deaths than we would uh, expect. This line here is the average we would expect in terms of deaths for the time of year. This line above it here um, is, is when deaths are statistically higher than we uh, would expect. So we see that all these weeks where there's crosses here, the deaths are higher than we would expect for the time of year. And that data does go up to uh, the 1st of September. And we can see that there in colour as well. So we are seeing excess deaths in the States. Now, um, quite a few of these um, are... COVID-related 
of course. The excess deaths in young people uh, are much lower than the excess deaths in older people. But still, it means that more people are dying than we would expect. Now, this is the graphic here. Um, for the uh, 0 to 24 year old age range in the States. And again, rather poor that they don't differentiate it more. But this line here is, uh, is 18,000. That's 18,000 there. And we can see that cumulatively the line has risen until we're around about the 17,000 uh, mark. And it's really started rising about, about here, about 20. That's early, uh, early 2020 when that started rising. Again, some of these will be COVID related, but of course others won't. So here we see the graphic here, you might be able to see it more clearly. So here's the, here's the numbers here uh, for, the, uh, for the excess deaths, that scale in thousands, um, low up until well, when did it start going up? Really, May, June, September um, 2020. Some of those, of course, will be COVID-related. Thankfully, very few people in this age group have died from COVID, but there are some. But it carries on uh, increasing, as we see here. Um, now, the projected line here, um, quite how they get this going down, I don't know because it's cumulative, but um, we are seeing quite a high cumulative numbers of excess deaths in the 0 to 24 year old age group in the United States, about 17,000 for the country. Now, these, these are statistics, of course. Now, I wouldn't normally do this, but th th this tragic young death is, is in the public domain. So um, I, I felt it was acceptable to do this um, as, a, as an example. Um, it is in lots of news outlets. That's the reason I'm doing it. It's already public domain material. And of course, we, we give our great deep, deepest condolences to Gwen and her family. A 17-year-old died peacefully in her sleep in June. This is just awful. Um, so sorry. Um, after eating dinner with her parents and then going out with friends for a few hours. And the reason this is so well known in the States is uh, congressman's uh, daughter Sean Caston who obviously I'd never heard of but is well known in the States and as I say in lots of uh, lots of public dome out outlets so I just kind of wanted to take it away from the statistics to the individual tragedies of which there appears to have been 17,000. Uh, father's party statement she'd just come home from an evening with friends went to bed and didn't wake up and the Castons themselves are saying uh, this past June our daughter Gwen Caston died of a sudden cardiac arrhythmia. So it looks like this same thing that um, this um, that Tim died of in in the UK. Uh, Tim Tim uh, Tim Goch, the uh, radio DJ who died at work yesterday. Um, tragic for individuals. In layman's terms, the family say she was fine, and then her heart stopped. Healthy twenty two, healthy twenty two, twenty twenty two teenager. So she'd been previously healthy. She was fully vaccinated against uh, COVID. Uh, had tested positive for COVID-19 uh, more than once in recent months, but never experienced any symptoms. And by all accounts, uh, a much-loved uh, daughter. 
absolutely, absolutely tragic. So when we look at a graph like this, and we say numbers like cumulative deaths are over well over sixteen, well over sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand. We have to put that in the context of the tragedy for uh, individual families. Now it looks like the projection that this is leveling off. Let's hope that is uh, correct. We can't go back, of course, because it's cumulative. But let's hope that this is this is the case. But we are seeing excess deaths more than we would expect, and I think every person that has deceased um, should have the uh, the dignity of a, of a formal diagnosis. And if that involves very large-scale um, post-mortem studies, for example, I, th I think those resources need to be made available because we're talking about life and death of uh, many, many people here. These excess deaths are a real phenomenon. So that's the main thing I want to say today. I'm just going to finish looking at China, which is utterly bizarre. Let's just uh, look at it briefly here. So the, the Chinese have just had this big uh, conference, President Xi Jinping basically now confirmed for life, we believe. Uh, no, now, it had been hoped that this conference would be the opportunity to say, look, COVID's inevitable, we have to let it happen, as other countries have. Uh, the idea that you can stop COVID is ludicrous. Um, it's going to be endemic for a decade or more. Um but the Chinese still seem to be working on this zero COVID strategy. Zero COVID, people's war to stop the spread of the virus. Uh, apparently it's been said, I don't know if that was Xi Jinping himself or just said at the conference, but you cannot stop the virus. It is not possible. It's endemic. We are surrounded by many viral particles and this is one of them or viral types. Recent weeks, um, tens of millions have been confined home, 60 towns and cities, Dynamic zero COVID policy is, is, is linked to President uh, Xi Jinping himself. So um, whether there's some sort of loss of face thing here, I don't know. But it just it's just bizarre that the people are suffering like this for nothing. Strict lockdowns, mass testing, constant health screening, travel restrictions. <clears throat> I, I did put this together a few days ago. Trains that are verging, Jiang have been suspended. Roadblocks. Food and medical shortages, it's no... That's where I'll leave it there because that, that'll be, that's no news that uh, comes as any surprise to any of my regular listeners. So that's where I'll leave Dr. John Campbell there. So, oh, wrong button. There we go. So next up is an article from The Guardian. This is from the same day as the previous video, Tuesday the 25th of October. Community catif cats attentive to owner's voice research finds cats more responsive if owners speak to them like babies but less so if adult to adult tone used study claims any cat owner knows that the correct way to get their pet's attention is to sing here kitty kitty rather than utter a flat come here cat now research suggests cats may routinely tune into their owner's tone of voice to detect when they are talking to them rather than to other humans. 
Most people automatically adopt a higher-pitched sing-song tone when speaking to animals and human infants, although previous research has suggested that such baby talk is more likely to capture dogs' attention. Less was known about how cats react to being spoken to in this way. To investigate, Charlotte de Mazon and colleagues from Paris Nanterre University observed how 16 cats responded to hearing pre-recorded sentences spoken by their owner or a stranger by recording changes in their behaviour, such as moving their ears or tails, suddenly stopping what they were doing, or their pupils dilating, any of which could indicate that a sound had caught their attention. They found that the cats were largely unresponsive to hearing a stranger's voice calling their name, but when the owner did it, 10 out of the 16 cats displayed a constellation of behaviours suggesting increased attentiveness. Cats also showed more signs of interest when they heard their owner speaking sentences in a tone usually used to address their cat, but not when a stranger used this tone, or when their owner spoke the same sentence as if addressing a fellow adult human. Yeah, so cats also showed more signs of interest when they heard their owner speaking sentences in a tone usually used to address their cat. Or when they hear the fridge door go, in the case of my cat. Anyway, the research published in Animal Cognition adds to mounting evidence that one-to-one relationships are important for cats and humans to form strong bonds. For a long time, it's been thought that cats are very independent creatures, only interested in humans for eating and shelter. That means, you know, not to eat humans, but you know, to be the supply of the food, unless you do hear those horror stories where people die, don't you? Anyway, moving on. But the fact that they react specifically to their owner, and not just anybody addressing them, supports the idea that they are attached, said de Mazon. It brings further evidence to encourage humans to consider cats as sensitive and communicative individuals. Potentially, the relationships work both ways, as cats have previously been observed to purr differently when trying to solicit food from their owners, compared with for example, when they are being strokes, and humans judged (laughs) solicitation purrs as more urgent. The fact that, in return, cats show a greater reaction when their human specifically addresses them brings a new dimension to previous considerations of this reciprocal relationship to Mazon said. And there is more you can read on, but that's where I'll leave that one there. QAnon and on, support for satanic paedophile elite theory jumped 5% this year to 49 million. Experts says cults are beginning to dominate our political landscape. Religious research group records remarkable rise in number of QAnon fans. Nearly a fifth of American adults, 49 million people, are now believers. <sighs> See, I've just got to make that, because I've I said that this is what happens probably about a month ago on the podcast. The two are independent groups with a small overlap. You've got your satanic paedophile run the world group and you've got your QAnon group. And in the middle there's people, but the vast majority of people I know that think there is a satanic paedophile group, you know, a la the Jeffrey Epstein network and all that kind of stuff. I know many people who believe that and none of them believe QAnon they're not QAnon people at all they don't like him or her <laughs> because they're anonymous uh, and what they've done and they think a lot of it is absolutely nonsense I, I can put myself in one of those uh, 
Republicans are the biggest fans, but 8% of Democrats also believe. Gubernatorial hopeful for Pennsylvania, Doug Mastriano and other Republicans have been linked to QAnon. A growing list of criminal episodes have been blamed on QAnon adherents. There you go. So I've given my views on QAnon before that it smells like a controlled opposition group and um, who knows what happened on January the 6th and if there are any agent provocateurs it's all um, we've covered the only thing I'll say on that is what I've already said in previous podcasts where I've read out the mainstream news talking about some of the findings so you can go back and listen to them and that by, was by James Rinal on the 27th of October the bizarre QAnon credo grew in popularity by 5% this year, with nearly a fifth of Americans now following belief that a devil-worshipping paedophile elite secretly runs US institutions. A public research institute survey uh, on Thursday showed a big uptick in support of QAnon ideology. You see, that's where it is. We are doing this survey on satanic paedophile, and we'll just automatically say that it's QAnon ideology. I, you know, I'm assuming this, uh, the survey didn't say... Are you a regular reader of the work of QAnon? That might be a better way to say if it's QAnon rising or what they're talking about rising naturally and he just happens to be one of the people talking about it. In fact, a lot of the Daily Mail articles would refer to exactly that and they're not QAnon ideology. And when I say that, I'm talking about the ideas of paedophiles, elites and their links to, it says US institutions, but you can probably read the Daily Mail for their links to a variety of worldwide institutions in terms of some of their minions and people that have got caught. I am, of talk, of course, talking only about those that have been um, uh, convicted in courts of law. Everyone has the right to innocence until proven guilty. But the point I'm trying to make is all rabbits are animals, but not all animals are rabbits. So there are loads of people that are concerned that there is an elite that do continually seem to have ties to paedophilia and devil worshipping. You know, for want of a better phrase, the deep state and the, you know, the 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 ones in the deep state that do constantly seem to get arrested and convicted for acts with minors and other such things and the constant talk over the, work, the year of Ted Gunderson, the former FBI person, and that's the satanic element, that's where you jump off on that rabbit hole if that's an unpleasant rabbit hole you want to go down. So all those people that believe that would be only a small fraction of them would be QAnon people but all the QAnon people would be in that group so all rabbits are animals not all animals are rabbits that's probably the easiest way I can do to say that so the survey of 2,523 adults indicates that some 49 million American adults now believe that the government media and financial world are run by Satanists who manage a vast child sex trafficking ring yes you see that's what it was asking then. Didn't have anything like Q related into it. Do you see how the two merged? And they shouldn't necessarily be so. Because rabbits 
animals. Republicans are QAnon's biggest fans, with 27% of them still subscribing to the theory. Still, <laughs> is that the trust the plan theory that QAnon, trust the plan, Trump will be back, trust the plan, trust the plan, trust the plan, trust the plan. Oh, well, didn't happen, but trust us now. <laughs> still 19% of independents and 8% of Democrats also follow the credo, which emerged in fringe online chat rooms in 2017. Yeah, you see, that's the QAnon thing which emerged in 2017. The whole idea of this goes back long, long, long before. For example, go and check out how long Infowars has been going, and then David Icke before him, and then Jordan Maxwell before them, Edward G. Griffin, to name but a few. Remarkably, PRRI data shows that the proportion of respondents qualifying as QAnon believers... <laughs> See how that works there. Qualifying as QAnon believers, not identifying there's the merger, has increased by 5 percentage points and the number of QAnon rejectors dropping by 10 percentage points, the research group said in a statement. Experts on social trends, including Carl Miller, a research at the Demos think tank, grows of, warns of the growing influence of conspiracy theories and reduced trust in government journalism scientific research. You see... Plenty of theories turn out to be true, and reduced trust in government's journalism scientific research is worldwide, and I think a lot of the people I speak to in everyday life would say, well-founded. And that's where they go, oh, and if you're into that, which is, you know, something the majority of the world, especially the working class, seem to share, now you're a QAnon person, and that's where we do the merger. But I don't think, you see, the problem is, all the people that see the believe in the satanic paedophile thing would be able to see how the merger occurs and probably be able to go, oh, no, yes, I'm a believer in conspiracies. No, not the QAnon type. Anyway, said enough on that. Let's scroll down to the uh, the comments on this. Let's see what they say here. And uh, oh, it's just never-ending adverts when I get to the comments. Right, let's have a little look then. The comments below have not been moderated. Okay. Up 2 to 1, down 22. It is no secret that we have a handful of elite running our media banks and corporations. They influence our politics and churches. They constantly push for every degeneracy, and a lot of them rubbed elbows with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, that's what I was trying to say earlier, and you don't have to be a QAnon person to believe that. I believe in that statement. It has some, you know, running branches of media banks and corporations obviously some good people and bad people in all institutions but you get the idea there and uh, a lot of them did run elbows with Jeffrey Epstein that is true um, I've covered some of the elbow rubbings on this show before all for mainstream news so yeah I think that's interesting but not a mention of QAnon there which was good um, here we go so up 1, 2, 3 down tw oh no my apologies. Up 159, down 22. I'm not Q and didn't really know what it was until recently. However, with all the wokeness related by related to sexual identity and force feeding of this mostly non-scientific garbage in our educational system, it's not surprising many are subscribing to the theory. Okay. Um. Okie dokie. Up 114, down 7. 
I have always said these children for sex cult conspiracy theories were nuts. But then, why is it that Jeffrey Epstein's client list has never been divulged? You know it's known to our government. Explain that. Yeah, so I think that probably may I've de- deliberately do be on the news as a beginner's guide to you know the new world order and things like that. So I'm hoping that those sort of listeners are the ones that are beginning to listen to this show to go. Yeah, you did think used to think they were nuts, but then there's mainstream evidence, documented evidence, trial evidence. Something's not right here, is it? And it seems to crop up with the same connections to the same connectors again and again and again. Naming no names. I don't have any information on anything like that. All I do is read mainstream media and play videos from YouTube from, you know, accredited people. That's it. That's all I do. And then if you put the pieces of the puzzle together, you'll see that there is something more sinister to some of this with some of these people. And it seems to be the same circle of people that rub shoulders with each other again and again. You know, very small degrees of separation. Oh, let's now play a video of uh, Governor Ronda Santos talking about the CDC and the vaccine. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, Sorry about that. That seems to have uh, played the uh, wrong video. Hold on a second. There's been a lot of questions uh, to our office about uh, the CDC potentially adding COVID vaccine to the childhood immunization schedule. And I know a lot of parents are concerned about that because if that's on the immunization schedule, the fear is that schools could potentially mandate your child to get a COVID shot, even if that's not something that you want to do. So I just want to let everyone be clear, you know, as long as I'm around and as long as I'm kicking and screaming, uh, there will be no COVID shot mandates for your kids. That is your decision. That is your decision to make as a parent. Uh, These are our new shots. I get a kick out of when people kind of compare it to MMR and stuff, things that have been around for decades and decades. Uh, So parents, by and large, most parents in Florida have opted against uh, doing these booster shots uh, for their, particularly for the young kids. The Surgeon General of Florida does not recommend this for young kids, for kids under under 18. Uh, and basically, his reason for that, there's not really been a proven benefit for that. I mean, we can get into some of the potential side effects. You don't even really need to do that. Not been a proven benefit, but it's a free state. Parents can make the other decision if that's what they want. The important thing is, is that school districts are not mandating this choice. So, good on Ron DeSantis there, choosing freedom. We're now going to play a clip of Rand Paul grilling Fauci. And this clip comes from Fox News. I own no copyright on this clip or any other clips that I've used in this show or any other shows. They're all played from the public source. Uh, The problem is the damage is already done from the virus as well as from the government's draconian overreaction and COVID measures. And there are still a lot of unanswered questions like, where did COVID? We've been asking you and you refuse to answer whether anybody on the vaccine committees gets royalties from the pharmaceutical companies. I asked you last time and what was your response? We don't have to tell you. 
But I tell you this, when we get in charge, we're going to change the rules, and you will have to divulge where you get your royalties from, from what companies, and if anybody on the committee has a conflict of interest, we're going to learn about it. I promise you that. Well, on top of that, there's still a lot we don't know about the vaccine. Senator Rand Paul took down Dr. Fauci on that point as well. Watch. You seem quite certain of yourself in 2004, but in 2022, there's a lot less certainty. A vaccination following infection gives an added extra boost. And that film that you showed is really taken out of context. If you ignore whether they've been infected, you're ignoring a vaccine, basically. When people decry vaccine hesitancy. It's coming from the gobbledygook that you give us. As you heard, Senator Paul is vowing to investigate all of it should Republicans win the Senate. Uh, so when would that begin? And shouldn't they be doing that now? Here with me tonight, Kentucky Republican Senator Rand Paul. Senator Paul, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you really are the only honest actor who is taking it to Dr. Fauci, who is so horribly conflicted. Now, for you, what is the most troubling conflict of interest that he has? Well, the thing is, is the entire pandemic, if it came from a lab, the fact that he approved the research and funded the lab would draw culpability to himself, culpability to the NIH, culpability to all of these people who made the unwise decision to send money to China to do dangerous research. So that's why they steadfastly resist this. But if you look at the early emails, when, when they first discovered the sequence, the RNA sequence of this virus, January 31st of 2020, they are quite frightened. There's harried emails going back and forth till 2.30 in the morning. And all of the initial scientists are saying to him, holy cow, we've looked at the sequence and it looks like it's been manipulated in the lab. In fact, it has a cleavage site. This is the way the virus cleaves or gets into the cell that we don't see in nature typically, and that the Chinese last year asked us for money to do exactly that research. So all kinds of alarms and bells went off for a day or two. And then we have another couple of emails where Dr. Collins and Dr. Fauci are talking about how they are science and saying that, wow, this would be really damaging to science and to NIH and to all the taxpayer money we get and also to themselves personally. So they began a cover-up. And I think it's the biggest cover-up probably in the history of science. And we will get to the bottom of this because I promise you there's going to be a paper trail and there's not been any interest from Democrats. But should we win in November, I will use every bit of subpoena power to get every bit of data. We will bring Fauci under oath. We will bring all of those scientists under oath. And we will get to the bottom of this. Well, I hope someone does. And I can't uh, imagine for a moment why Democrats, you know, their constituents died too. You know, their the kids in their districts, they suffered as well. You know, they, they suffered through the mental health crisis and learning loss uh, because of this pandemic. And we still don't know where it came from. We deserve to know that that should not be a political pursuit. And, uh, you know, it, it, Dr. Fauci has made it so he has turned into a political operative and he has done so much damage to this country. Now, another answer you've been trying to elicit from him, and he's been very slippery on this. Uh, and, and this is also a glaring conflict of interest. There are people who sit on those vaccine committees who decide what the rules are for all of us and where we can and cannot go. Uh, could they be getting royalties and could they be enriched from the vaccines that they are forcing into people's bodies? 
So we've asked this question over and over again. Fauci and others have refused to answer any questions. They're steadfastly refusing to answer any questions, but a judge through the Freedom of Information Act required that they release some emails. They released them, but they blanked them all out except for the total amount of royalties. But it's not a small amount. 1,800 scientists received $193 million, but they won't tell us from which companies wow. to which scientists. So my question is simply this, and it may not, there may be nobody on the committee that's received this money, but if they won't tell us, it makes us wonder. So on the vaccine committees, there's several committees that uh, approve uh, vaccines and then push forward these mandates. Is anybody on those committees receiving royalties from the two companies that make the vaccine or three companies that make the vaccine? And if they are, they shouldn't be on the committee. The best way to think of this is, let's say your local school board is going to vote to buy new textbooks. And one of the members of the school board owns the textbook company. Do you think anywhere in America that doesn't have to be divulged, that that's a conflict of interest? So nobody would, you know, but nobody touches Fauci. We go after him on this, and he says, we are not going to tell you we don't have to. And then he cites a law from 1980 that we're investigating the law, and we will change the law if it's protecting him. But really, what kind of bureaucrat, what kind of scientist comes forward and says, well, we're just not going to tell you because we don't have to. He and his wife make $850,000 a year working for the government, and we want to know if these scientists that are raking in that much money are also receiving royalties, and if they're receiving royalties from companies for which they are approving the drugs. That's a clear conflict of interest. Absolutely, and, and the ramifications in society are totally unacceptable, and he deserves to be pressed on this and held to account. Uh, Senator Paul, a lot of people who watch this show are hoping that you are thinking about running in 2024. Do you have an appetizer for them? Uh, well, two months from now, I am running. I'm running for re-election for Kentucky. And if people want to know about that, they can go to randpaul.com. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought beyond that. It's hard to think beyond that because 2024 is another election cycle away. And so we won't make any decisions till after this. I can tell you that if we were to look at it, it has to be a probable tract in which there would be a possibility because it is a large duty. I did it in 2015, mm. you know, for the 2016 election, and we were disappointed somewhat with the numbers. And so, you know, in order to undertake a project like that, we have to really believe that we could win. We wouldn't do it just for fun because, frankly, it's not that much fun to travel the entire country and do the work. Well, we'll but see. Uh, I do want to participate in the debate. So. All right. I, I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I am excited for what your future holds. That's where I'll leave that clip there. From UKFinanceYahoo.com. Planning on a Pfizer booster? Expect a 10,000% markup per dose in 2023. It's by Lauren Bird, Monday the 24th of October. If you plan on getting boosted against COVID-19 this winter, then you might want to do it sooner rather than later. Pfizer's COVID vaccine is going to cost more in the coming months as the pharmaceutical company announced that it will nearly quadruple the price of the shot in 2023. Once the US government uses up the doses it's already brought, expected to be sometime in the first few months of 2023, Pfizer will up the price, charging as much as $130 for a single dose of the vaccine, which will replace the multi-dose under the name Comirnaty. Now, 
Our next article is from The Telegraph. Covid vaccine study finding contradicts lockdown rule. At various times during the pandemic, Britons were advised to stay at home and limit outdoor exercise. Covid vaccines appear to work better for active people, a study has found, suggesting that hard lockdowns were counterproductive. And that's the rest of it's behind the paywall. Next one here, Isaac Shaw. Tuesday the 25th of October, New York Supreme Court orders New York City to rehire, pay back wages to unvaccinated city employees. That's unvaccinated city employees. The New York State Supreme Court has ordered New York City to rehire and pay back wages to government employees who were fired for refusing to get vaccinated against COVID-19. David Chokshi, the city's health commissioner, issued an order in October 2021 requiring all city employees to be inoculated against the virus. Later, Chokshi issued a similar order for private sector employees. Mayor Eric Adams signed a supplementary executive order to that later mandate carving out for sorry, that latter mandate carving out exemptions for athletes, musicians and other performers. The court deemed both Chokshi's and Adams orders arbitrary and capricious, while also finding that Chokshi's violated the New York State constitution. The health commissioner cannot create a new condition of employment for city employees, cannot prohibit an employee from reporting to work and cannot terminate employees. The mayor cannot exempt certain employees from these orders, reads the opinion, which was authored by Judge Ralph J. Pausio. Pausio noted that vaccination against COVID-19 does not prevent transmission of the disease, but noted that the decision is not a commentary on the efficacy of vaccination. It was about safety and public health. No one would be exempt. It is time for the City of New York to do what is right and what is just, concluded Pausio. The City has already filed an appeal, according to a spokesman for the Law Department, and that City strongly disagrees with this ruling, as the mandate is firmly grounded in law and it is critical to New York, New Yorkers' public health. You see, it's that kind of stuff that it's coming to a head, isn't it? Where you've got the science that says... Is it critical for New Yorkers' public health? Science says it's definitely not critical. Science is kind of like, you know, how good is it? But it's definitely way beyond critical. And, uh, you know, way beyond thinking that it's critical to New York as public health because it doesn't stop transmission. So that's, you know, that's the end of critical, isn't it? If it doesn't stop transmission. And even then... Should they be allowed to mandate even if it was? So so you've got, you know, spokesperson for, you know, the city departments going, we're ignoring the people and we're ignoring the judges. Or not ignoring them, we're just disagreeing with them. We're disagreeing with the people and we're disagreeing with the judges and we're disagreeing with the science. So it'll be an interesting... And that isn't just New York places and people in New York in these, you know, shall we say... Well, let's just call them the city officials, the spokesman for the law department. Yeah, those types. There must be some sort of day of reckoning when, when, um, when I say reckoning, I may just mean an intellectual reckoning. When they go, well, we're saying it's critical for New Yorkers' public health, but it isn't because no science says it's critical because it doesn't stop transmission. And even if it did, the judge said you can't do it anyway. So, yeah, 
watch this space and that's sort of a debate that's happening all over the world and uh, speaking of uh, that sort of idea of vaccine you know reckoning and stuff here is a clip from gb news mark dolan from october the 11th so we were sold in terms of the vaccines on the idea that you take it in order to sort of stop other people getting covid and dying based upon the answer from this pfizer official that was a lie it was but the thing is mark it's as though people had their fingers in their ears and they just didn't want to hear it because the fact is that information was in the trial data. Peter Doshi wrote an article about it in BMJ at the time. I looked at the trial data. And Peter Doshi is a, he's a, he's a top medic, isn't he? Yeah, and uh, writes, B, for, B, writes for BMJ. Writes for BMJ, yeah. So the thing is, um, the trials for the COVID vaccines were to test the reduction of severity of one or more symptoms. They didn't test reduction in hospitalisation, death or transmission. And yet we have been told that the vaccines would reduce or stop transmission. You know, President Biden said so in the US. Yeah. Saj Sajid Javid here, when mandates were being rolled out for care home workers, literally said, get a job, get a jab or get a new job. And, you know, the whole premise behind that was that care home workers should be vaccinated in order to protect vulnerable and elderly people in care homes. But... There was never any evidence, not any good hard evidence, that the vaccines would reduce transmission. They might do if they um, reduced your symptoms, if they made you less symptomatic, because therefore you would you know, cough and sneeze less. Um, but the fact that it was used in order to coerce people and incentivise people into being vaccinated was totally consistent with the whole unprecedented behavioural science approach to the vaccines and, in fact, to the whole pandemic. Well, and the issue is that if this vaccine was 100% harmless then perhaps it's worth a roll of the dice. Uh, perhaps if it reduces transmission by a tiny amount, that's better than nothing, a kind of marginal gain. But the bottom line is that we vaccinated millions of people around the world that statistically did not need the jab, including children and young people. And this is a vaccine that, while largely safe, is injuring and killing some people. Well, every vaccine is going to have adverse effects. I'm going to just roll back slightly because I think that harm is only one decision, only one factor in people's decisions. You've got to remember some people refused the vaccine for religious grounds mm. or um, reasons of conscience. Some people didn't want it because they'd had COVID already, so they assumed they had some good level of immunity. You know, people have lots of reasons not to want to be vaccinated and they should all be respected and they're all private. In fact, I'm just going to say something. It's interesting to be talking about the vaccine right here with you now because the last time I talked about the vaccine on G news i was asked live on if i was vaccinated on this channel and i'm afraid it was on this very channel and i was so stunned and flummoxed well, I, to be I asked haven't that asked i started for any of your medical details you haven't asked for any of my but that's because you're a picture of health so I'm medical worried. details well done but you know we're in this very strange situation right now where over in california the home of uh, entertainment Marvel Comics has been sponsored by Pfizer and they've produced a comic called Everyday Heroes which is to encourage people to get their, their jabs and their boosters. Over on the other side of the country, in Florida, the Florida um, State Surgeon General has... Was the chief medic in one of the great states of America. Absolutely. Has um, produced some robust research to show that um, the risk of cardiac problems and cardiac death increases in men who are aged 18 to 39. So not only do they now not recommend it for under 17-year-olds, but they don't recommend the vaccine for 18 to 39-year-olds. So I think, you know, for a lot of us in the world, this is a really confusing time. You've got, you've got 
Disney and Marvel, this huge brand, saying, get vaccinated. And then other side of the country, you've got a highly respected medic um, responsible for healthcare in a whole state saying, we don't recommend it for whole swathes of people. It's really hard for people to know what to do. Indeed, and then we saw a study from the University of Oxford. Are you familiar with that particular educational outlet? Have you heard of the University of I, Oxford? Yeah, and, and the Lancet magazine. Educational right. establishment. So, I the University yeah. of Oxford, Lancet magazine, which is one of the most you know revered medical journals on the planet, mm. uh, published a report, published a, a study that suggested that you're over 40% more likely to get COVID uh, if you've had a booster. Mm. Um, now, the bottom line is lots of people will continue to get boosted and it's a free country and all of that. But uh, you see these sorts of statistics, the myocarditis, uh, the incidence of people being vaccinated and getting COVID. And now countries like Denmark cancelling boosters for anyone under 50. You, you can't get the booster in Denmark now. You need a doctor's note if you're under 50. In Norway, it's under 65s. Mm. Um, is the vaccine house of cards beginning to tumble? I think we're going to see some serious backpedalling, not least from people who were extremely hard on the refuseniks, as they called them. In this country, we can't forget Andrew Neil, Piers Morgan, Karen Brady, and McAvoy. Lots of them with their big headlines saying it's time to punish the unvaccinated, etc. There's going to be a lot of backpedalling in those quarters. Also, I think the behavioural scientists and the health authorities who incentivised and pushed people to get vaccinated might have egg on their face in due course if people don't believe in the efficacy um, as much anymore. You know, if it doesn't live up to the promises at the least. And of course, every um, adverse effect is going to worry people. I think Marvel and Disney have been astonishingly brave with their brand, to be honest. Oh, to, yes. to sell their superheroes to Pfizer to uh, presumably make money, because I think every adverse event is going to be, it's going to puncture the allure of the superheroes like a needle through a cape. A day of reckoning is coming, isn't it? Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. No, I, I think, think so. it already has come for trust in health authorities. That day of reckoning is here. So that's what I was trying to say about New York. There's one group of people and then there's the other group of people. Oh, apologies. There we go, got rid of that one. So from Bloomberg now, new COVID boosters aren't better than old ones, study finds. Results show the new shots perform similar to past ones. Moderna, Pfizer boosters aim to protect against new variants. And that was from Bloomberg by Robert Langreth, 25th of October. So I'll, that's... Or you, I really read to, from from that article, just the headline to get the idea on that one. Next, it is from Sky News. COVID-19 inquiry focusing solely on safety of vaccines will not be opened, government says. A few MPs have raised concerns in parliaments about the possible side effects of vaccines, including what some described as data showing a correlation with increased levels of cardiovascular problems. The government is not planning to open an inquiry solely into the safety of coronavirus vaccines, a health minister has said. Caroline Johnson added the vaccines will be reviewed as part of the wider UK COVID-19 inquiry. However, Dr Johnson insisted the jabs are safe and encouraged those eligible to come forward for autumn boosters. She was speaking during a Westminster Hall debate in Parliament, held in response to a petition calling for a public inquiry into COVID-19 vaccine safety, which has been signed more than 107,000 times. 
A few MPs raised concerns during the debate about the vaccine's possible side effects, including what some described as data showing a correlation with increased levels of cardiovascular problems. The NHS website says... Reports of serious side effects are very rare and the COVID-19 vaccines approved for use in the UK have met strict standards for safety, quality and effectiveness. From the Daily Mail now. Algorithm lets scientists read your thoughts by decoding brain signals and could help people who can't speak communicate with the world. The system pulled data from three parts of the brain associated with natural language. The model reconstructs arbitrary stimuli that the person is hearing or thinking into natural language. This allowed the system to produce plain text of the person's thoughts. <laughs> and a potential end for privacy for whoever uses the device. Potentially. Just a quick thought that went through my head there. I wonder if someone's picking that up somewhere. Do -do 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 -do. By Stacy Libertore, and that's 24th of October. Scientists can now read your thoughts using an AI-powered model that is specifically designed to decode brain scans. The non-invasive breakthrough developed by the University of Texas could help those who are unable to speak or type to communicate for the first time. The method, however, does decode language in real time. The method works by feeding functional magnetic resonance imaging to the algorithm, which then reconstructs arbitrary stimuli that the person is hearing or thinking into natural language. That's like something out of Star Trek, isn't it? Right, let's scroll down to the comments for this one. And as ever, the more I scroll down, the more adverts will come up. Yep, that's correct. And in the end, we get to the point of the comments and there will be no more adverts. But not today, it seems. And perhaps I need to scroll back up. No, still can't get them. Oh, that's a shame. Might have to just leave that one out today. Don't get to hear the comments on that one. It's just not loading how it should. There you go, that's life. Again from the Daily Mail now. Has heartburn pill that has been given to a million... To, <clears throat> I'll start again. Has heartburn pill that has been given to millions harmed patients? An ingredient in Zantec has been linked to cancer and now US patients are suing drugs makers. This is by John Nash. 24th of October. When UK drug maker Glaxo launched the heartburn medicine Zantac in 1981, the drug became one of the nation's greatest pharmaceutical successes, not least for its effectiveness in treating heartburn, which affects up to a quarter of British adults. The medicine's active ingredient, ranitidin, reduces the amount of acid that the stomach produces. It can act as an effective salve for acid reflux and heartburn, the pain acid reflux causes, and can also be used to prevent and treat stomach ulcers. As a preventative, patients were told to take one tablet with a glass of water 50 to 60 minutes before eating or drinking beverages that cause heartburn. In 1985, worldwide Zantec sales had reached 432 million, turning Glaxo from a mid-sized British company to a global pharmaceutical giant. And the medicine's popularity continued to soar. In 1988, it became the world's best-selling drug, earning more than a billion dollars in annual sales. Zantac is a histamine. But anyway, let's scroll down to the uh, suing bit, shall we? Um, Joseph Beyer from Illinois had launched the case 12 months earlier, claiming that taking Zantac had caused him to develop cancer of the esophagus. His lawsuit was aimed at GlaxoSmithKline, 
uh, GlaxoBecam, GlaxoSmithKline or GSK in 2000, and several companies that had made generic versions of the drug. Before the case came to trial, the generic drug makers agreed to co-fund an out-of-court settlement and Joseph Bayer dropped the case. GlaxoSmithKline was not part of the settlement. A spokesman says that GSK did not settle Mr Bayer's claim and has not paid anything in exchange for the voluntary case dismissal. So let's just get the comments for this one. Best rated. And we shall see if they've been moderated or not. Uh, they have not been moderated. Um, best rated. Here we are. Up 230, down 3. Glaxo smeared two Australian doctors for 20 years after they discovered antibiotics could be used to cure H.PYLORI infections, which caused heartburn and indigestion. This research threatened their 1 billion years Zantec sales. Good news is that these scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize, albeit 20 years late. Big Pharma has no morals. I know absolutely nothing of what he just talked about there. Uh, never even heard of that. I'd never even heard of Zantec before uh, that article. Next one is up 193, down 5. When will the public understand Big Pharma does not care about your health, they care about making money. Net present value for Big Pharma means if you make more money doing it than it costs to get caught for doing it, continue doing it. Right, next one now. Let's have a look at the time. Just play a very, very small clip of this Irish doctors taking on the Medical Council. Uh, that's the name of the video. I don't know if that's what they're doing. This is a round table of doctors from Ireland. Yeah, Conoclast Round Table. I am your host, Sarah Habibi. Today around the table we have Dr. Vincent Carroll, who is a doctor currently working in general practice, um, who also has a higher qualification in public health medicine. We have Dr. Pat Morrissey, a GP from Limerick, who's run his own practice for 20 years. Uh, Pat, you're also involved in the very first COVID hub. Um, previously chairman of the Out of Hours Co-op, and also you were a teacher at the University of Limerick for medical students. We have Dr. Jerry Waters from Selbridge, doctor with over 40 years experience. You were initially trained in surgery, had the first female sterilization clinic in Ireland, and did a PhD in Maynooth, and also you were a regular uh, visitor to the RT studios uh, on screen as a doctor, answering plenty of questions in the time when actually it was probably quite a an unusual thing to see was doctors appearing as themselves asking questions. So today we are going to be talking about the Irish Medical Council. Vincent, I'd like to start with you. Just explain to people who don't really understand who the IMC are, the Irish Medical Council. You know, who are they yes. and what do they do? Well, the Irish Medical Council uh, regulates the medical profession and they were set up under the Medical Practitioners Act. They replaced a body of a similar name in 1978. They were set up under the Medical Practitioners Act and their job is a very simple one. Their job is to regulate the practice so that the public can have confidence in practitioners. There's 21,000 medical doctors registered 
registered with the medical council. If you practice medicine, you have to be registered with the medical council. And they, they police the profession, they're self-funding. We all pay our fee and that, that provides finance to run the medical council. But it's run under the Medical Practitioners Act. Um, there are 23 members on the medical council. Of those, it's roughly split 50-50. I think of about 11 are medical doctors and 12 are lay members. But all their appointments have to be approved by the Minister of Health. The Minister of Health can remove any of them without explanation. And that's an important point. And it wasn't really all that important until the whole COVID issue starts to come about because the Medical Council fundamentally uh, policed with a fairly light touch until recent times. But now, and this is the big change that has come about, now they seem to have closed down debate within the medical profession. In other words, doctors who would traditionally have a range of views on a whole range of topics, uh, but particularly regarding COVID, regarding uh, treatments that are applicable to COVID. Doctors generally would have a range of views, but now there are no range of views permitted simply because the Medical Council will go after you, as they can do so under the Medical Practitioners Act if you stray from the official narrative. Now, this is unprecedented. This has never happened, to the best of my knowledge, within the medical community. Traditionally, as professionals, we discuss. Traditionally, we debate. Eventually, we come to a consensus. There may not be everybody on board with that consensus, and those that are not, their opinion is held in respect, but disagree with and the main consensus takes over. But that never happened, that never occurred, that never evolved uh, under uh, for the last couple of years. Instead, there's been one narrative only, and that narrative has been the government narrative. And therefore, we must ask the question, because the Medical Council, all members, have their membership, have their membership of it approved by the Minister of Health, all members can be removed by the Minister of Health. Is it not reasonable to say that they are political appointees? Is it not reasonable to say that they are political enforcers of government policy, as opposed to what the Medical Practitioners Act tells them to do, which is, is to act in the best interest of the public? Normally, the best interest of the public is where there is debate, where opinion can rise to the top that has been tested with rigor. And that has been happening in all the peer-reviewed articles, in peer-reviewed journals, where there's a wide variety of opinion and active debate. But none of that has filtered into the medical community in this country, none of it, because doctors are fearful fearful of being deprived of your livelihood if you are investigated. And there lies the problem. Pat, you're nodding away there. Mm. So what's your experience been uh, with the Irish Medical Council? Well, uh, I've been in practice, in my own practice, for 18 years, and I've had no interaction with the Medical Council uh, during all that time. And it's only when COVID came along and I decided to do my own research about what treatments were available and how other countries were dealing with the, the so-called pandemic that I uh, found myself in the crosshairs of the Medical Council uh, because I uh, found evidence and research about uh, early treatment and the benefits of it, started using it. And then I felt that uh, 
that the, there was this, uh, um, as Peter McCullough would call it, therapeutic nihilism among the medical community, where they were uh, leaving patients uh, uh, neglected, neglecting patients uh, when they needed doctors most, when they were ill. Uh, and here in Ireland, the, the guidelines were, you know, stay at home, there's nothing that can be done, assume it's COVID if it's a flu-like illness. Um, and then if your lips go blue, maybe call an ambulance. You know, this is, this is what patients were being told. This is what our chief medical officer was telling patients, uh, you know, on the national airwaves. It's an absolute disgrace. Uh, and yet me as a doctor who wanted to look after patients who never retreated from the front line, uh, you know, I'm the one that's being investigated. I'm the one that's, uh, uh, you know, being perceived as a bad boy. But, but what's their main criticism that they're actually directing your work? So that's where I'll leave that because we're, we've come to the end of our time. Well, a little over, actually. Um, all the links are in the comment section, so you can go and watch the whole rest of that video for yourself. If you like, there's another half an hour of, of it. Um, that video is called Irish Doctors Take on the Medical Council. So thank you very much indeed for joining us for another show.